Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast, a special edition. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the faculty chair of autonomous vehicle engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi again, Alan. Hi, Fred. Looks like maybe we're doing this every day now. Sounds like a a full weekend for us. As we said, this is a special edition because joining us is Matthew Doss. Matthew was the longest serving commissioner and chairman of the New York City Taxi and Limousine Commission. He is now a partner and chair of transportation at the law firm Wendell's Marks. He also serves as transportation technology chair at the City University of New York's Transportation Research Center and president of the International Association of Transportation Regulators. Thanks so much for joining us, Matthew. Good to be here, Fred and Allen. And I'm glad you're doing podcasts every day. A podcast a day keeps the fake news away. <laughs> oh, wow. oh, my goodness, Matt. We it's true, though. We started this well today. We have a new slogan. Look at that. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, in our last podcast, Alan uh, and I talked about the new congestion surcharge for all trips in four hire vehicles in Manhattan below 96th Street. Now, in effect, uh, $2.50 for each qualifying trip in a yellow taxi, $2.75 for each qualifying trip in a green taxi or other for hire vehicles, including services like Uber and Lyft. But by using the ride-sharing option in the Curb app, riders will get a 75-cent reduction in the surcharge. Matthew, maybe go into some of the background here. Congestion pricing in the city sure isn't a brand new idea. It's not. Actually, when I was working for Mayor Bloomberg, um, when I was working at the TLC, I was part of the Plan YC movement. If a lot of people forget about it very quickly, but it was the sustainability plan, the center point being congestion pricing, which failed uh, to be passed by the state. Um, you know, that was many years ago. Uh, after that was uh, that failure took place, there was an effort, as we all know, to put bike lanes and uh, do a lot of other policies on the street with the city DOT, which uh, among other items contributed to congestion with the growth of Uber over the years. The issue only resurfaced really because of the summer of hell. I mean, I know, you know, New Jersey was having one as well, but we had two years ago, what, what was the summer of hell, which was the first time ever since I think Robert Moses was kicked out of a job when they created the MTA, when Rockefeller set him up, at that point, there was complete unaccountability in the public eye of who controls the MTA. I mean, people in the know, in the transportation sector, know that the governor uh, selects the chairman, has a lot of sway uh, over the agency. But for the first time ever, um, Mayor de Blasio and Governor Cuomo uh, made this a big public issue where people for the first time in the daily papers started pointing the fingers at the governor for the mess that ensued, primarily because of budget cuts uh, after Superstorm Standy to the uh, infrastructure budget. So all of that kind of caught up with the MTA and the service declined, and it really became a political issue. The the governor facing re-election, he has been re-elected, but uh, up until that point, he needed to do something. And uh, they created this Move New York or Fix, uh, I'm sorry, a Fix New York panel, which included Sam Schwartz from Move New York and a lot of other uh, transportation players, they came up with a series of recommendations. And then after that was uh, put out, the governor decided to approach the legislature. And instead of doing a, a bill, um, the way they usually do with the hearing and a process, 
you know, uh, as often as too often happens in Albany, um, some some provisions were put into what we call the big ugly. The big ugly for those who don't follow politics is the budget bill, which is thousands of pages long and good luck finding something in there that's of relevance um, if you're looking for it. So so they stuck it in there. It passed. And the whole goal, I think, was uh, when they looked at the big picture was who's going to what's going to solve our problem in their mind or at least look like we're doing something without offending the most voters. And that was basically to just tax Uber, the taxis, the green cabs, the limos, deliveries, every, everything on four wheels that transport passengers into the central business district and impose an MTA tax. So, you know, the MTA tax is not new. We, we've had, since I was commissioner, um, and I, I opposed it at the time because I didn't think yellow cabs should be paying a tax to subsidize the subways and the buses, which are their competition. I thought it was, you know, not, not good policy, but, you know, good luck finding a, a tax that goes on and doesn't come off uh, and comes off. It just doesn't happen. Um, the only time in recent memory I could ever think of a, a tax or a toll going onto a transportation mode and coming off was when uh, Mayor Giuliani removed the uh, the, t- the toll from the Staten Island Ferry, quote unquote, because he said Staten Island voted me into office. So <laughs> this, the same reason why the, you know, the, the tolls were taken off the East River Bridges by Mayor Gaynor uh, over a century ago, um, it, it's easy to take them off. N- never do you put them back on. But um, long story short, there was a precedent for collecting this tax. And it was an easy revenue stream for the governor to do something so that he he wouldn't be accused of having another summer of hell, which they were very, very concerned about politically happening this past summer. So um, long story short, the job was not finished. It's it's really not congestion pricing. I think that's a real misnomer here because uh, all of these folks, uh, if it only applies to four hire vehicles, um, you're not you're only you're only looking at one smaller aspect of the problem. You know, there's been a lot of things that have caused congestion uh, in, in New York City. Number one was, um, you know, the, the, I, f- I, f- I find that there's, you know, because I drive every day in New York City. Uh, call me crazy, but this uh, is, this is I've seen this do, with my own eyes. Do you share eyes. rides? Do you share? I, I, I do share rides. Excellent. <laughs> from time to time. Uh, not with Lyft, but informally with friends and with coworkers. Um, I do, I do actually uh, see every day the problems with the, the, the points of construction with the Lincoln Tunnel, with um, a lack of management, frankly, uh, and possibly very strong union rules, which prevent um, good management of the system. You, have, you can't discount, as Whoopi Goldberg said, uh, the, the, he, she called it a mess that was created. I don't know if it's a mess, but uh, there are a lot of bike lanes. There's a lot of, uh, of narrowing. Um, and I'm not a traffic engineer, but I'm sure Alan's students could uh, chime in and, and, and show that sometimes when you even widen lanes or put more lanes, it doesn't solve the problem. But when you take away lanes, you're really going in the wrong direction in terms of uh, congestion. So it, it didn't work. I mean, the goal that uh, Bloomberg's transportation commissioner had to try to use bike lanes to and, and a lot of the re, uh, you know the reimagining of the streets, putting pedestrian plazas in place to discourage uh, uh, trucks or personal private cars from coming in or private hire cars from coming in didn't work. The people still kept coming. There's no barrier at, at the at the end and the beginning of the central business district. So it's it, and and, the, and adding insult to injury. When I left the TLC, um, 
you know, there's a cap on yellow cabs since the nine, since uh, the Great Depression. Okay, there is no cap on four hire vehicles. Uber and Lyft came into the market knowing that, and they grew exponentially, especially Uber. So when I left, there was 100,000 vehicles, and they doubled that number. Uber has close to 100,000 vehicles on only themselves, as opposed to when I left, every single car on the road, taxis, greens, yellows, uh, blacks, they were all they all amounted to 100. So you double the size of the industry. Uh, man, there's a, a construction management issue. There's bike lanes everywhere, pedestrian plazas. Um, and there's more people coming to the city than ever before. So this is a big problem. This is only one aspect of congestion. Um, but the reality is, is that it's going to, it is congestion pricing only if you look at it, that it creates more congestion, which it will. <laughs> um, these people in the short term are going to show up for work every single day for the conceivable future. And the only way there's going to be reduced congestion is when these drivers are put out of work because they can't make a buck anymore. You know, so this is really not in light of the fact that we had eight suicides and people, um, you know, so <clears throat> in disarray and unable to make a living and actually taking their own lives because the industry got too big supply and demand. The reason why they created the medallion industry in the first place in the, in the great depression, we had the same thing. We had taxi riots in the street. We had too many cabs, not enough rides. Um, we didn't have suicides back then, but we had violence on the street. Um, and really to the exact same day, you know, uh, you know almost 50 years later, um, you had somebody who I knew took his life with a shotgun on this on the steps of City Hall, and we're dealing with some serious issues. So it's not to me the the best answer to start trying to reduce congestion only by taxing, uh, you know, for hire vehicles and have these poor folks show up for work and get less even less business because they're not going to go away. So so this is this is a big problem. I think number one, it's bad policy to do it without doing private cars and trucks. Because they could be part of the solution if you really think about it. If you close, if you reduce the size of the industry in another way, you know, there's got to be a way to get the permits back, as opposed to having people lose their jobs as a result. You, you, if if you close the city, and um, and and only people will come in to pay if they're private cars, if they if they can afford it, you're going to reduce that and have maybe some staggered truck deliveries. You know, the the truck should should have some. Um, uh, ability to park somewhere or have some type of coordinated policy where they can be accommodated better during the day in the limited uh, crawl for the curb space. But also there should be night deliveries. There has to be a holistic approach with the traffic department, the city DOT and the legislature. This is just clearly an MTA tax to try to uh, fill a shortfall, which is not working because the governor and, and the MTA have already said that this is not enough. We need to raise fares and do it for everybody. And I think the governor is, even though he's got all houses of the legislature with his party now, the problem that we have is that he's realizing that there's some pushback. You know, the, the new Democratic uh, Senate just pushed back on Amazon coming to Long Island City in Queens. And now they're starting to push back the same way they pushed back on Bloomberg when he tried to get congestion pricing passed. So um, long and the short of it, this started on Groundhog Day. It's been a mess. I've been out there taking cabs and talking to the cab drivers. Um, they're getting less trips already. And I'm going to have some data soon, I hope, to share with you, gentlemen. Um, they're getting less trips uh, anecdotally per day. And also they're getting less tips. Uh, some are getting no tips and some are getting a dollar tip when they go to the airport. So so the, the drivers are already suffering and it, we're only about a week or so into it. And I'm really hoping that the governor who said he wants to have publicly at a state of the state address that he wants to have a holistic approach to this. 
you know, he wants to maybe have an exemption for the cars coming in from other boroughs he, and, and, and apply it to personal cars and trucks. So he's looking to now fix, uh, you know, the wrongs that were created by this um, ill-advised policy. And I think um, if, if the legislature does this, we could do it the correct way and maybe make this thing work. And it's, it's funny because I was in London recently. I was in London uh, right after New Year's and um, I met with the TFL. And there's a big um, problem over there because the private hire vehicles and the black cabs have been exempt from congestion pricing since they started it under uh, Boris Johnson. And um, what's happening now is they're having some revenue issues as well. And they decided to now remove the exemption. So they're saying, um, oh, well, London is saying New York is doing it this way, so we should do it. Meanwhile, we're saying that, you know, London does it the correct way, but London <laughs> exempts the, the four hire vehicles until now. So they're having actually a big fight at this time because they're looking to let the black cabs that are wheelchair accessible continue to be exempt. But they're, they're now going to start charging the Ubers and the Addison Lees and all the, you know, the private hire uh, livery and limo companies and in London. So there's, there's fights on two sides of the Atlantic on this issue. Um, you know, there's, there's probably a right way to do this, but I don't think we're there yet. Um, and this is what's happening in the industry. There's a couple of lawsuits. Um, I don't, I, there's, there was a TRO, a trans, um, a temporary restraining order that was issued, um, that delayed the implementation of congestion pricing it was supposed to go into effect on January 1st. Um, and it didn't because uh, some of the litigants, the taxi industry and later the black car and limo industry joined the suit. They went in right before the holidays. The judge, you know, basically signed the injunction and kicked it to the first week of January. And both parties agreed to extend it. They went back into court and the judge lifted the TRO. The drivers are obviously very upset. They're organizing. They're appearing in court. They're protesting. They went up to Albany to protest the governor the other day. So this is far from over. Um, I think that the same movement that the drivers uh, created by getting the first ever minimum wage for independent contractors in New York, as well as the cap on Uber, which recently passed, they've now shifted their movement to fighting congestion taxing. So it's not over yet. They'll be back in court in, um, you know, in March. Uh, some of the arguments are equal protection arguments. You know, there's different uh, amounts of the tax for different types of vehicles. Um, you know, there are a number of arguments that they're making in court, but um, irrespective of that, I think there's going to be some type of effort at policymaking at the state level to fix this. And I'm hoping that, you know, reasonable minds could come together and, and figure something out that's really congestion pricing, not just a, a bungled MTA tax, which this is shaping up to be. Well, um, Matt, a, a couple of things in there, at least uh, if I can, you know, throw my two cents in. Um, sure. uh, certainly, the, the I thought that the original proposal by Bloomberg for uh, congestion pricing, at least, you know, from New Jersey looking out, or let's say from the academic end of it looking out, um, was a really good one because it, it because it was a uh, congestion pricing that was on all. Uh, personal vehicles. And in fact, I think at the time, I don't even know if cabs were included or not. Um, no, they weren't. They were it was focused on on me driving my car um, uh, by myself uh, into Manhattan. And not that I don't want to see you driving your car by yourself in Manhattan, but, but you know, uh, those... 
that, that that's really um i don't know i've always pointed to them as being the the, the bad people but of course the difficulty with that one was was um, that uh, it would do it if you came in from from uh, the uh, outer boroughs and of course you know this this concept that mobility within the, the five boroughs need to be non-taxed or something like that i guess that's what they were relying on but at least that's what the people in brooklyn and so on a claim that in fact this is why you don't have we don't have tolls on the east river bridges uh putting congestion pricing uh to have mobility throughout the five boroughs um would uh, would uh, sort of go against that um uh, what's uh, you sort of mentioned um uh doing the the congestion pricing on on vehicles that have one per one uh, one rider in there uh, you want to say any more about that or? Well, I mean, I think if we're going to do something, we should allow for people to ride share. I mean, either they should pay less in my view, or they should um, pay nothing at all to get in. If they're going to be using like, let's say an HOV four lane. Um, we put these policies into a play into place when <clears throat> right after nine 11, I mean, you know, they, they closed the entire downtown area South of canal street after nine 11. I remember it well, I was there. And um, I remember that they put they, that's when they first started the water ferries and they started HOV four. It, uh, it was HOV three, but it could be HOV four. And, you know, then you really have some uh, some ride sharing and some ride pooling together. So whatever policy they come up with, Alan, I, I think I agree. There needs to be some benefit for ride sharing. There was a push by uh, some of the companies that do actual ride sharing uh, like Via to try to exempt uh, them from the tax because their their business model is all sharing, um, so th- that that's not a bad idea. They ended up getting less money charged, um, but if you know, I, my big thing is surge pricing uh, by Uber causes a lot of these problems. So, um, you know, because you're basically taking all the cars uh, that are out there. When drivers, let's go back to the original Allure, uh, Alan, uh, to answer your question. Yes, we need we need uh, we need some policy that encourages sharing we need um which includes both private vehicles like hov4s or some uh lesser charge or exemption if you're going to carpool to work but number two you need some um action to be taken against policies that are pricing related that contribute to congestion the surge pricing was the reason why uber grew so quickly because a lot of the the history of it is a lot of the car service spaces when uber came into the market Uber was dabbling with the yellow cabs at first, but then they went to the black car limo and livery side, the prearranged side of the market. And the first summer that they came, they basically approached some of the businesses and they told the black car businesses, hey, your drivers are not, are not at full capacity. Let, let me give them this app and we'll split the cost with you. We'll, uh, we'll split the revenue with you um, if they take any trips when they're not taking trips for you. And they did that, and the drivers rose very quickly with the surge pricing that they're working less hours for Uber and making more money. So they started leaving these companies to go work for Uber. But then when Uber got too big, economies of scale, um, they just the drivers started making less money. So when that happens, even more so, the only way that the drivers make any money anymore is to try to get, get the surge. So, so when does the surge usually happen? I mean, it could happen late at night, but it happens – at all times during rush hour. So whatever whatever supply is out there, 
it, it, it gets it gets increased naturally because of the pricing policies. My big thing is, hey, if you're going to surge at all and allow this and passengers want it, there is the TLC can and and my opinion should actually ban surge pricing during rush hour unless there is sharing going on. If we did that, you know, you, you would I mean, look, people don't typically want to share unless they have to. That was the results of. Um, uh, unfortunately, some of the pilots that I did when I was there, and I, I think that's pretty much a, a good um, way to sum it up. Um, I mean, people will share if they have to, if they're stuck at, at a line in the airport or at the bus terminal. If it's rush hour and they can't go anywhere and you make it mandatory, then they will actually share uh, more than they would before. So I think that would be a good policy. So, uh, I, but I guess my point is, is, Alan, is it's not that simple. We need to be looking at all these things. Uh, Fix New York, the panel tried to start looking at a lot of these issues and these policies, but the job was never completed because, you know, a lot of these ideas were, were not implemented in, in this very quick, uh, uh, big, ugly, you know, budget legislation. We need to have a hearing. We need to have some real policymakers and academics um, make their suggestions um, and people who really know the business and know congestion. Um, they had a good panel. I mean, Sam Schwartz and some of the people really understand Sam's traffic great. in the city. They were on panel, but you know, they weren't making the this, the final decisions. And we need to we need to really not throw this in in a rushed manner as part of a budget deal because you know what happens. It's it's tw it's midnight and the budget's due, and there's three people in a room and they're making these decisions, and everything gets lost in translation. It's highly doubtful that the leaders of the state have this level of knowledge that all of us have about the nuances of transportation and that's what needs to be done. So yes, we need to look at every little perk and this could be a really, really good policy exercise if we just did it the right way and listened and, uh, and learned from our mistakes. Yes, yeah. uh, there's no doubt, Matt, that this is not simple. Of course it's not. Uh, it's very, very complicated. Um, uh, but uh, I pointed out something that I thought that was done right. <clears throat> and what I thought was done right uh, with respect to this was there, the definition of uh, what is a, uh, a shared ride. Mm -hmm. And in fact, uh, the emphasis is here is that if you have a group, uh, the group is not shared. Uh, the group is a group. Uh, shared is only uh, when you have either individ independent individuals or independent groups that would have otherwise um, taken two different or three or four, however many vehicles, uh, now all of a sudden take one. And, and that really does um, uh, reduce congestion. So if you and I are just, you know, going someplace together and we would have ridden together anyway, um, that's, not, that's not sharing. But uh, if you make a call and I make a call and because we happen to be um, uh, what I like to call casually uh, uh, correlated uh, to be uh, going from the same place to the same place at about the same time, uh, we would have otherwise taken two vehicles, us hopping in one, um, is mm -hmm. is is really good at in defining and doing that, and but of course um, to implement that they have the mechanism because all of these vehicles are are both uh, um, recording uh, where you get on, where you get off, and uh, that time, and uh, recording uh, who pays, and so therefore it's easy for them to determine. 
that in fact, when you see two people in the vehicle, oh yes, uh, they are uh, casual uh, uh, sharers. In other words, they really are sharing uh, that vehicle as opposed to two people who would be uh, traveling together uh, anyway in one vehicle and therefore don't deserve a break um, or a reduced tax or even a a subsidy or something, whatever, heaven forbid. But, you know, uh, so I think they did that well. The other thing I think they did well is, is just for our sake to to be able to collect the data on what's really happening out there. Uh, So we can, we cannot tell with the data that's available. My goodness, um, does the MTA offer an alternative to these people that are traveling that could have been taken by these people, uh, whoever it is, and um, would have been just as well, if not better than the ride that they took in these vehicles? So, or are they really uh, uh, trips in which, uh, my goodness, the MTA is not giving in any help And therefore, in some sense, they're captive to the vehicle and they had to do it or else own their own car. So I can't wait to to ascertain exactly and quantify exactly what that is, when that is, where it is um, uh, throughout the the five boroughs. So uh, those are two things that I took away from it that were done well. What's your thought? Well, you're bringing up a very good point, Alan. Um, I mean, I agree with you on the definitions. Obviously, it's when you're dealing with technology and, um, you know, these shared mobility apps, it can be tracked. Um, um, You know, I'm not sure what your position is on exempting or having lesser amounts for HOVs, because the way I look at it is, you know, hey, if these guys are coming to work anyway, that's all good. I look at the final result. Are the cars being utilized or not? But I do agree with you that um, more could have been done by the by the MTA and public transit in New York City on experimenting like all these other smaller cities are around the country with the FTA sandbox program first and last mile microtransit i mean there was a great opportunity uh, to do that with the L train shutdown but why do we have to wait for that why can't we have uh, minivans that are, are flying around the city that are, are not buses that are able to operate on demand that are partnered with the MTA, at least as an experiment. Um, we could do it in first Absolutely. and last mile. There's no, there's no reason. I mean, New York City, as big of a city as it is and as progressive as it is, it's amazing to me how the West Coast, all of these different cities, Seattle, L.A., they're all, com- all coming up with these these really these plans and, and spending time on planning their transportation future. We have no plan. In New York City. We just don't. I mean, look, what NIMTIC does is great work, but it's all based upon funding and infrastructure. You know, we, we need like a like a plan YC for uh, for mobility, which includes not just solving the problems of today, but planning for a connected, shared, automated future. That's what we need. We don't have it. We have disjointed leadership and uh, a lack of true governance. You really need to have one czar uh, and one level of accountability. God bless them. If the governor wants it, let's give it to him. It's, it's better than having a bunch of folks that don't work together. And we need to do more to experiment. It's amazing to me how we're not part of the sandbox program. And and the only, you know, the MTA and public transit, they always want to group people together for shared rides. That's what they do best. That's why the only exception to that, the only point I think that they did that where it didn't make sense was accessoride. You know, um, the public power transit system was a mess. And, you know, they, you know, it's just an inefficient system absent an app to have multiple uh, users in wheelchairs uh, share vehicles. It, it adds to congestion, it, 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 but it, it, most importantly, 
um, because they drive around more. They're not efficient, but I think most importantly, it's bad for the, the individual user. You have to, you can't do a direct route. So I do support having, you know, single wheelchair accessible vehicles with a single passenger or, you know, or their party that's traveling going point to point. It's much more efficient. So that's the one exception. Yeah. Well, so those, that, that's, those... that's for wheelchairs, but, yes. uh, but I think that with respect to the ride sharing, I think the MTA thinks that ride sharing means uh, put 50 people in a bus or 400 people in a train, I, you know, even in, in many situations, putting two people in a vehicle chops, you know, takes a vehicle off, the, takes half the vehicles off the road that otherwise would be traveling with one or do it with, you know, three or four. So it doesn't have to be 10 or 15. And in fact, you know, you can offer exactly. and um, uh, uh, mobility that way. And they they haven't they haven't done as you pointed out, maybe any or enough experimenting to see what that can do, and and they really should. Matthew, you talked before about public attitudes uh, towards ride sharing. Uh, what are your thoughts about the seventy five cent incentive included in in this uh, program? Is that going to work? Well, that's that's the app that has the seventy five right, cents. Right. I think the program itself has a two dollar, you know. Um, uh, uh, reduction but go ahead yeah well i mean it's 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 really i don't know if it's going to work only because it's 75 cents per person <laughs> um you know so so it's it's the the savings is minimal um and you know i i think you know i don't know if it's going to work i mean uh, the you know i think the bigger issue is if are you going to get people who are, would otherwise take a cab by themselves to jump in like let's say a via and, uh, and and share because they have to get somewhere quickly or they they're lo- willing to save a couple of pennies. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I think, you know, from uh, we have to study this. We have to see are people going to be walking and using bikes more? They're going to be using the uh, transit system if they don't want it. it. It really needs to be studied. I don't know if there is going to be an effort to study this because really there's no the data is all over the place. There's not one single place where you can look at it. I mean, there is a study that's supposed to be done on whether the cap in New York City for four hire vehicles should stay. And, and that, that study is probably going to look at lots of different sources of data. Um, but this ends up being a, a governance issue. And, and look, I'm not, in favor of, uh, I'm not in favor of dictatorships, right? Okay, I'm not in favor of monarchies. But we, we kind of really do. I'd rather have a benevolent hey, dictatorship. dictator is always best. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really, at this point, when things are so bad, Question I'd is, rather have somebody, one person in charge, and let them let them have a chance to cut through the bureaucracy and get it done. Because you know what, this is not working. It's not working to have these all these agencies don't talk to each other. It's well, horrible. Matt, Matt, I'd like to suggest. I I think we're going to have the data. If the question is, will someone who rides alone be be willing to ride with somebody else? I don't know, but we'll know where the people who ride alone want to come from, go to, and and at what time they want to do it. And if they could have gotten there faster by uh, using the shuttle between Penn Station and and Grand Central and being pushed in there a lot, it reminded me last time I was there, I thought I was in, in, in Tokyo, you know, being shoved in there. <laughs> And then we know the white gloves, right? maybe the reason why they're, they're out there, they don't want to be shoved into a V ve- into that vehicle. But, but um, if, if they're doing it at times 
uh, when when uh, there isn't a shuttle between A and B, there isn't uh, MTA service, uh, that isn't good. Then, then for those folks, uh, we don't know whether or not uh, they, they might have uh, just as well t- been willing to be shoved in because when they go between Penn Station and, and Grand Central, they take the shuttle and they get shoved in. So, right. you know, a lot of New Yorkers don't mind being shoved in and ride share. OK, but the problem is that the MTA, yes, if you're going between Penn Cent- Grand Central and Penn Station or something, well, the shuttle doesn't even go. It goes between um, you, you have to take a subway to the shuttle. I'm sorry. It's from the bus terminal to the to the um, um, uh, to uh, Grand Central. Anyway, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Alan, I agree that there is data there. I mean, let's talk about what data we're going to get. We're going to get pickups and drop-offs and fare box information for the ride shares before and after. We're going to, we obviously can get the bike share info through the city, and we're going to get like the, the, the ridership uh, up or down from the subway system. But what, what we're missing, to your point, is we're missing the, the public acceptance and the consumer orientation and it's really more of a marketing study we're not able to to track individual riders um you know at the tlc and elsewhere but that's what we really need we need to have like a statistical sample of riders before and after um the demographics the age groups i mean the millennials the college students they would tend to share it's a social concept but i can tell you from my experience with trying these group stands right before i left tlc as commissioner it was the most debacle of a press conference i ever did uh, the, uh, one of my last days in office we announced the the, the stands right and i'm at 57th street and like 7th avenue and there's a stand and there's reporters and there's no passengers showing up and there's no uh cabs and every time there was a cab they'd wait for five minutes and there's not two or three passengers to get in. And the same token, there was one or two passengers that would come. And um, if there wasn't a cab right away, New Yorkers are in a rush. They're busy. Um, you you got a good chance of getting the millennial on a budget who's uh, in, in school or starting their job to share. But, you know, just do you really think we're going to get, um, you know, the ladies that are shopping at Bloomingdale's with the baskets uh, of, of clothes that they just bought to you know, start waiting to share. I mean, it's an economic decision. It depends on people's status, right? I mean, uh, you know, people who can afford not to share, I believe don't. And where you have this ride share stands or the ride, the ride sharing usually is when they have no other choice. And that's, I mean, I think that's the sad reality. I think people from a sustainability standpoint have altruistic reasons for doing it too, but it's usually an economic decision. And I would love to see before and after if this works, but I, it's such an, a small, well, I, I don't but, know, but, Matt, but, Matt. but if they exempted them, Alan, we could really see if it works, but it's not, they're just paying a little bit less. I, I don't know if this 75 cents per person is really a good incentive. Paying, paying's not, yeah. paying's not going to do it. Paying's not going to do it, but really New Yorkers do step up, you know, uh, they, they, if, if it, it's couched, if it really would, would make uh, things move faster and, and uh, make uh, New York a more pleasant place to, to travel. Uh, if, if it only meant that you might be with one or two persons, as opposed to a, 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 you are in the subway, I don't know. It, it needs a whole public relations look. Oh, yeah, uh, that's, that's what it's all about, Alan. I agree with you. It needs public relations. Remember, it did work. It The transit strike. It I worked in the transit strike. I mean, you know, people, people, you know, hitchhiked. 
Okay. Alan, you're forgetting to say it works on an elevator. But <laughs> and look, look, look. Autom- which are automated, by the way. Look, look they, they banned smoking in bars in New York. And people went outside. I mean, look, uh, my goodness. Um, no, it's a good point, Alan. But you need you need to have infra, you need to have a PR campaign. I agree, and you to because it's what people would do now, and it's what they would do if you made it easier for them, right? Right. Not and just the pricing is. Are there stands or easy. areas where you can pull over or you can meet up? I mean, these. You I, just you're, hop you're in, hop out. You know, no big deal. It's not a big hassle, and it doesn't need to be that hassle. And you're not waiting around for somebody to show up, and so on and so forth. And so, uh, technology can help us do that. And so I don't know. I think uh, you, you make it hassle-free and you move faster. Who wouldn't want to move a more hassle-free cross town in New York? Come on. Yeah, that that re- requires, I think, some uh, not just the PR campaign, but you need some curb space, which has been sure, taken away and given to the bicycles. Space. We need to we need to get you know remove well, the bicycles and put some you know shared pickup. Uh, going my way type of uh, places where there could be a, 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 an efficient uh, ingress and egress of a, of a vehicle and people know that they can show up over there and they could go just know, hop go. in and hop out. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't well, know. I, I think that those things need to be tried and I, you know, it'd be, it'd be fun to do it. Well, Matthew, you touched on it before a little bit, but I'd, I'd like to hear more about your thoughts about the potential for the use of driverless transportation services in in the city. Well, um, I mean, I th- my, my thinking on that is that, uh, you know, the business, you know, what's is the chicken or egg, right? Is it government taking a leadership role um, and telling the manufacturers and the mobility providers and tech companies, this is where we want you to go, or is it the other way around? And it's amazing to me, I was in, I was in Germany at a manufacturer there who asked me to give my opinion on what's going on. And and there was all these experts in the room and we went around and they basically asked me like I knew, uh, well, what's the government's plan in the U.S. for uh, introducing automated vehicles? I said, I said, well, I talked to the government. I know Alan talks to the government. They're asking you what the plan is. So I'm not really sure where the hell we're going to end up on this one. But I, I do believe that, you know, in the, look, it's the companies and Alan and I agree on this. The companies economically want to and need to be in the urban centers, not in some rural closed community or somewhere. That's not where the action of the money is. And the, and the benefits and the gains, you know, can be made in an urban environment. But, um, you know, I think, you know, the mix of vehicles concerns me on the safety side. Um, you know, people who don't adhere to, um, you know, uh, the law and just cross the street jaywalking, looking at their cell phone. These are things which I think could create issues for safety. Um, I almost think, you know, in a perfect world uh, for urban environments to have automated vehicles, they all need to be talking to each other. They need to be connected to infrastructure. And it needs to almost be the same the same model and the same level of technology. And then let's let's close certain areas of the city to anything but these automated vehicles. And, and, and it's got to be done correctly because if it's not, I think, you know, lives could be lost and bad things could happen. And there's no plan to do this that I'm aware of. Yeah, who's I, got the guts to do that, right? We're probably going <laughs> to see probably, I, would, I don't know what your opinion is on it, Alan, but I think we're probably going to see something radical, a radical experiment like that more on the West Coast. I could see like a Portland, you know, cl- or some other city that's smaller closing a certain area to anything but connected and automated cars and doing a Waymo experiment. I could see that happening. I don't see it happening in New York. 
I think we're more likely to see urban air mobility and drones off of Bezos's uh, <laughs> uh, helicopter pad in Long Island City than we are going to see automated vehicles. So I think New York City, unfortunately, is probably going to be one of the last places we see it. <laughs> um, but, and that's my take on it. I don't know if I'm sure Alan has opinions. Um, well, Matt, Matt, I, uh, I, I'm giving a talk at the city university at noon on Thursday on uh, my thoughts on automated vehicles. And, um, and I'm going to deal with Manhattan first and I'm going to say, uh, no, uh, not for Manhattan. Uh, Manhattan's unique. Forget it. Automated. Yes. If you're talking about automating the subway, uh, if you're talking about what uh, Paris did with the Paris Metro, absolutely. If that increases the frequency and so on and the efficiency and the speed, absolutely focus your automation on the subway. Uh, but, but upstairs on the streets, uh, no, uh, my goodness, no, uh, there's enough demand you can afford. Uh, the better thing to do is to work on ride sharing and with ride sharing, that's not even more people, uh, throwing in some money. The, 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 the driver can make even more money, uh, reduce congestion, focus on that. Uh, outer boroughs, maybe, uh, central Jersey. Absolutely. Uh, but um, but I'll do that in at, uh, at City University on Thursday at noon. We'll save the thunder. Okay. Finally, Alan uh, Insider has a story out today with the headline: "Self-driving cars could actually make congestion much worse," and it is citing research from the Journal of Transportation Policy. Well, yes, yeah, self-driving. Uh, self-driving means that uh, you need to have uh, adult supervision in the vehicle. And guess what? Uh, that's one person. And that's just uh, the way w- uh, we cur- currently use the automobile, which, uh, which, of course, we have congestion with it. Now you make it even uh, easier to use it. You're going to go more places. Uh, of course, it's going to uh, drive congestion. Uh, the only way you get away from the congestion is if you share a ride and we have to make it so that my goodness, it's just as nice to share a ride than it is to go by ourselves. We do it in elevators. Okay. A lot of the time we're only in there by ourselves. They're automated. And every once in a while, somebody jumps in with us. Uh, We get over it. I would agree with Alan on that. I think, you know, all of the policymakers are talking about this now. This is something that needs to be made very clear to the automakers and the mobility companies that the government is not going to tolerate anything that does not include a plan to share because it will increase congestion. You're going to have families having two or three uh, automated cars um, and the automakers natural tendency, they create these you know, these mobility companies now, and you have uh, companies like Google creating and Uber creating their own cars. Uh, I think in the future, we really need to see um, and, and encourage them to share and tell them this is the way it's got to be. Otherwise, because that's going to how they that's going to affect how they make their business decisions. I think the big issue in the boardroom at all these automakers is are we going to sell cars when they're automated exclusively or mostly, or are we going to become mobility companies and do what Uber and Lyft and car to go and all these, you know, uh, car rental and car share companies are doing? Um, are we going to do that ourselves? And I think if the government makes it clear that sharing has to occur, I think that they will probably opt to not sell the cars and try to engage in relationships where they can make continuing uh, revenue 
from the vehicles by continuing to own them as manufacturers or selling them to cities to be part of the mass transit system. I, I think that policy declaration will affect how this debate and how the business models go. What about um, what about the Waymo model? They're they're not actually making vehicles. Obviously, they're they're putting equipment in, into them, but they're not in the car making business or vehicle making business. No, but they're they're assembling it and they're a fleet. I, my my position on this is very is very clear. I don't even need the government. I'm not going to buy a driverless car, okay? Because I'm going to have I can't drive anxiety, and so I won't buy one. The only reason I might buy one and own one is if I can drive it. And so if you make one that, that, that not only doesn't need a driver, a driver gets in the way. Okay. Uh, which is what the driverless vehicles are. They can go from A to B without anybody. And in fact, they don't have a steering wheel or any of that stuff. The car companies have spent my whole life educating me that the only way reason I want one of these things is so I can misbehave and live my fantasies. And if I can't misbehave and live my fantasies, I'm not buying one. And if I just get picked up and taken and chauffeured and bloody dod, boy, I'm doing that. And so that's the only business model that exists with driverless. Now stuff that lets me take my hands off the wheel and feed off the brakes and be, be, be irresponsible. I'll go buy that stuff. Okay, but that stuff needs me as as a as an adult supervisor. You know, it requires me to be in there. Okay, right. But but Alan, doesn't it need to be plentiful? I mean, don't don't we kind of need to make that work, Alan? The um, the 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 proliferation of these cars very quickly, because if you're asking people not to have their own car and to rely on the system, there's a pricing issue, right? That it, you know, if they're going to share and not have their own, um, it needs to be number one available as quickly as Uber is. Number two, it's got to be affordable and out and out and, and outperform the cost of buying one. So, I mean, I think you know, unless I'm missing something, I agree with what you're saying, but it would have to be like, it can't just be some random AVs showing up. It's got to be like. Uh, it has to be plentiful and it has no, to be, of course. And it's going to be plentiful. And, and uh, if Waymo's not going to do it, uh, uh, Aurora's going to do it or Voyage is going to do it or another company's going to do it. And they're going to have these things out there. And it's going to be like, I don't know, Sunday morning on the upper West side. I, although I don't know what Sunday <laughs> morning in the upper West side looks like, but I imagine if I just come out in the street. Boom. There's a cab. I get in and I go with your bagel. <laughs> yes, I was just thinking bagels on the Upper West Side. Yes. I, People I walking to the store to get their bagels or waiting in their in their car so they can get a better spot on the street and sitting there eating. <laughs> well, okay, so I, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. But <laughs> the way I use an elevator, okay? I mean, the way that I use an elevator, it's rare that, uh, I'm, uh, that uh, you wait around very long. Yeah, I think, Alan, you, Alan you've mentioned a lot of companies that are, that are getting into this business like Waymo specifically for automated vehicles. And Matthew, you mentioned uh, car makers, those who, the traditional companies that, that, that have been making cars for, for decades, um, needing to get into that business. If, if not get into the business, at least partner with, with these other companies, if I'm reading you right. Or buy the other companies and put them out of business and eliminate the competition. Uh, that will always happen. I don't want to suggest that the objective of capitalism is to create a monopoly, but 
uh, I don't know. I think I've said that in class one one or two times, but I don't know if that's true. All right. Well, you're <laughs> tenured, so you could say that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I abuse it every day. <laughs> well, terrific. That is, that's it for this special edition. We really want to thank you, Matthew Doss, uh, for, for joining us. What a great discussion, Matthew. This was fun. Uh, I'll do it again tomorrow, Alan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Didn't you say podcast today? Blah blah blah. Keeps the fake news away. You got a new slogan for the show, friend. Uh, Terrific. Thank you, Matt. Well, Have a good stuff. Uh, Have a great Sunday as well. Thank Bye-bye. you. And maybe I'll see you Thursday. Yes, I'll be there. University. I'll be there. And okay. a reminder that you can find us at smartdrivingcar.com on Anchor.fm, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud wherever you get your podcasts, and you can ask your smart speaker to play us too. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the weekend.